as we prepare our hearts to hear the gospel lesson this morning, if you are able, would you stand? Our gospel lesson today comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 27. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them if they gain the whole world but forfeit their life? Or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. It's so nice to see you. <laughs> it's a little strange, but it's so nice to see you. This is our last Sunday in our beautiful day series. And uh, at Living Water a few minutes ago, my mom showed up with Mr. Rogers' lunch notes for me. <laughs> and they're like business cards that have all the quotes, many of them that we have used in the last few weeks. And that's super fun. And I'm so happy to have gotten them. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Rick and Valerie Norton for letting us use their front porch. They haven't been able to swing because we've had that here. Um, for those of you who are joining us, maybe for the very first time, and just for those of us who sometimes forget things, I thought I would review where we have been. So the very first Sunday, when we talked about clothing ourselves from Colossians in the things of love and mercy and forgiveness, it was how do we create a beautiful day every day in our lives? And the second sermon, we focused on the Gospel of John and how God is extravagant in loving us. And we had that beautiful scene with Mr. Rogers telling us all to think about those who have loved us into being. In our third week, we read the painful scripture from the prophet Jeremiah and talked about the beautiful quote from Mr. Rogers that anything human is mentionable and anything mentionable is manageable. And we encouraged you to talk about the things that are hard to talk about in your lives so then you can manage them. And last week we heard from the prophet Isaiah who quoted God who was angry at his people and then moved to forgiveness. And we explored the beautiful possibility that what if we went to forgiveness first instead of last, when we've been hurt. And today we come to the end of this series hoping that you in your lives have focused on creating beautiful days in your life through the lens of this man, Fred Rogers, and how he lived out his faith every single day. So the title of this last sermon is Practice, Practice, Practice. And I have been an athlete, well, not recently, but I used to be an athlete. I started at six years old when my dad and my granddad uh, were going to coach my brother in t-ball, and there weren't any teams for girls, and so they let me play on the all-boys team, and I was six and he was five, and that's when I started athletics, and boy, 
practice, practice, practice. I did gymnastics, I did softball, I did basketball, I did track and field. And so my life included a lot of practice. I wanted to share with you when I was preparing for the sermon, the thing that I thought of that was so hard for me. As someone who was doing lots of sports, it was often very easy for me to be successful. But when I was a freshman in high school, my coach came to me and she said, I want you to see something. And she took me to this old room in the high school and put in a reel-to-reel. Now, there are many of you that are not old enough to know what that is, but it, an old movie reel-to-reel. And we sat for, I think it was 16 minutes, and we watched a man talk about how to high jump. And so we watched it and we looked at each other and she's like, what do you think? So then we watched it again. And she's like, I think you could do this. But she had never coached a high jumper. I had never tried high jumping. I was already six feet tall. And so we started trying this. And so I asked for a photo of the Fosbury flop is what I was trying to do, which was a type of jumping over the high jump bar where you go head first. So this is exactly the way that I jumped. Only this is an Olympian, so <laughs> isn't it exactly the way that I jump? it really close. Um, and so when you go over the bar like this, every time you miss or you catch your ankle or you hit it with your head or your hand, the bar, you fall on the mat and the bar goes into your back. So I looked like someone had taken the bar and gone boom, 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 and just, I was covered in bruises for the first year that I high jumped. And I got better and I discovered by my second year that one of the coaching things that wasn't in the video was that you had to do geometry. So you had to measure from the place you wanted to go over the bar to the end of the mat, and then you had to measure from the place where you started. And every single time you went to jump, you had to do that geometry, and you had to take a tape measure, and you had to find the place. And so I just kept experimenting with the length of my stride and my takeoff place and all of those things, and they really mattered. Uh, my first year at the state uh, meet, the girl who jumped before me missed the mat and hit the ground and they took her away in an ambulance and she broke her arm in multiple places. And so as I got better at high jumping, I found this incredible practice and discipline to find the way that I could be successful. And it required me doing the, the exact same way every single time, which I don't even like, <laughs> but uh, so I got better and better and the, it grounded me and I felt like I knew what I was doing and eventually I won the state high jump in Oklahoma. I set the record for 4A girls my junior year and I was eventually named an All-American high jumper. I had the 12th highest jump in the United States. And so, well, <laughs> yeah, that was a long time ago. But uh, the discipline that it took, not only the physical practice, but the mental practice and the, and the, you know, taking the time to do it correctly was what I thought of when, um, when I read the scripture and the thinking about our crosses to bear. So Jesus, if you didn't know, this comes in Matthew after two paragraphs. The first paragraph is where he gives 
Peter the keys to the kingdom and he says he'll be the rock of the church. And then a next paragraph, uh, he tells them that he's going to be crucified and rise three days later. And Peter argues with them and says, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so literally in two paragraphs, he moves from the keys to the kingdom to get behind me, Satan. And then we get this paragraph and he talks about our crosses to bear. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. I have to admit, I don't like the language of my cross to bear. I, I almost immediately think of those men, usually during Holy Week, who walk around with those giant crosses, dragging them around, trying to raise awareness of Jesus and Christianity. In my hometown, there were, there's a man that drags one around all year long, and you drive into town, and people go, there's that crazy guy who thinks he's Jesus. And so big wooden crosses and bearing crosses are not things that cause warm and fuzzy feelings. But I don't think Jesus is referring to us literally carrying wooden crosses. A matter of fact, the crucifixion hasn't even happened yet in the story, um, in the gospel. But Jesus lives in a world where bearing a cross is life and death. When you see someone doing that, it is a life and death thing. He is trying to move the disciples and us to making it a matter for our souls. And sometimes we think that the small crosses are the ones that Jesus calls us to bear. Things like going to church committee meetings. <laughs> it's a cross to bear when they are boring. Or i uh, not complaining about that family that has a noisy child in church. Uh, you know, that's a cross I bear. When we write our check for our offerings or our tithes and we worry if we're going to be able to pay our bills then we consider that a big cross to bear. When we try to live the golden rule and do unto others, and we know that other people are not living by those same rules, we are bearing crosses because of our faith. I want you to watch this video of uh, Joanne Rogers and then the man who the actual movie, A Beautiful Day, was made about and and listen to him talk about, her talk about his discipline and practices. When I think of Fred, I often think of him in terms of what he did every morning, which was pray and think of the people he needed to pray for and write to those people. Cecilia Sherman, Colby Dickerson, Thank you, God. I'm told he got more mail than anybody in the United States. He'd answer all of it. How does it feel to be married to a living saint? If you think of him as a saint, then his way of being is unattainable. You know, he works at it all the time. It's a practice. He's not a perfect person. He has a temper. He chooses how he responds to that anger. 
Joanne says that Mr. Rogers grounded himself through these practices and helped him be the person that we glimpsed. She did not want him to be labeled a saint because that makes his way of being unattainable for the rest of us. His life was an act of faith and it took discipline. His swimming calmed his anger. His moments of silence reminded him of God's love for him. His letter writing and his praying reminded him of the needs of others, their hopes and their fears. He found ways to bear his cross, to manage his life and his emotions, and his life's work is reflected where God was able to use him because of these practices. What we see in the way of life of Fred Rogers is that God was able to work through him to change other people's lives. But none of that would have been possible if he had not found the practices that worked for him that allowed him to be successful, for God to be revealed. So I wanted to give you another example of someone who used discipline and practices. And so, of course, as a good Methodist, I go to John Wesley. He, of course, wrote about him and labeled him <laughs> in Methodism. He talked about the two kinds of practices, the first being works of piety. And he, works of piety are individual practices to help us grow in our faithfulness. And he said, we can read or meditate, study the scriptures, pray, fast regularly, attend worship, healthy living, and sharing our faith with others. But then he went on to say, you should also do works of piety in community. And communal practices were the sharing of the sacraments, Christian conferencing or having accountability groups, study. And then works of mercy were his individual practices like doing good works, visiting the sick. He set up a ministry in the prison, feeding the hungry, giving generously to others in need. And as a community, the things we can do are seek justice, end oppression and discrimination, John Wesley spoke constantly about ending slavery, and he felt like all Methodists should be part of doing away with that and addressing the needs of the poor. He continued to do works of mercy and works of piety until he was physically unable. He focused on helping the poor by establishing medical clinics in England he was passionate about education for the young and the old. People learning to read would get them out of poverty. He saw this as freedom. He established a school for the miners' children that still stands today in England. And his behavior was unusual. People typically who are scholars, who went to the best schools, they didn't get involved in the kinds of things that John Wesley did. The country in which he lived was clearly divided by class, and, and those didn't change or mix, except for if you could learn to read. 
When I was on the John Wesley pilgrimage in England, our tour guide in London was from the House of Lords. And he said that he believed that the reason that they have health care for all is because of John Wesley. John found the practices in his life that helped him be open to the movement of the Holy Spirit and he changed his world. Now, I know this is a lot. You're going, I can't be Mr. Rogers. I can't be John Wesley and start a movement that changes the world. And I get that that is hard to imagine. So I wanted to share with you examples of people that you and I know. And so I wanted to tell you about my friend Edna Biggs. Many of you saw us building the new thrift store. Edna, before she started coming to Living Water, had left the church. She hadn't been to worship in 10 years. And when she came back and she started doing her practices again, she found herself open to the idea of a mission thrift store where people don't have to ask for handouts and they can provide for themselves nice things and, and so now we've, we've just built this huge building and we're going to the next level and that ministry is flourishing and many of you have donated uh, your stuff that you don't want anymore that other people love. And, and so for one woman, she is changing lives. She is affecting all of us because we want to help and raise money and do those. Another example would be our friend Bill Turner, who loves local missions and also going on national mission trips. And I thought of the first time that Todd Osborne went with Bill on a mission trip. And when they got back, Bill was so excited because Todd had caught the bug for missions and wanting to make a difference in the world. And so Bill mentored him, and then Todd saw another church that was doing a bed ministry, and he thought, thought he was open to the idea that we could do that. And so now he's given away over 400 beds for children in our neighborhood. And many of you have been inspired to raise funds and give Bibles and sheets and all of those things. And I could go on and on and on. There are so many examples of people in our church and our community who have done the practices to make room for the Holy Spirit to move them. We could call these crosses to bear, but I think of them as the joy that comes from the hard practices, the grounding ourselves in Christ, and that gives us life. I want to jump back to high jumping for a second. When I had to make a decision on where to go to college for athletics, because I was so successful as a high jumper, I could have gone anywhere in the country. But I was high jumping alone, and my success was my success alone. And, and I wasn't sure that I had the discipline or even the want to dig as deep as I could and be successful for myself. And so I chose a basketball scholarship instead because I had a group of people to do it with. And when I lost, they lost. And when I won, they won. And for me, 
that mattered. And so I chose the path where I was part of a community and I wasn't alone in, in motivating myself to do well. And when I think about the church and the community that we have in the church, I know it's easier for us to be accountable to each other, to motivate each other, to inspire each other, to keep us grounded in the practices that open us up to the Holy Spirit, to be challenged, to do more together. The reality is you can be faithful. You can do good works. All of those things completely alone. But when we do it in community, we learn to love that family with the noisy child. We go to the meetings because we know it matters. We sit by and go to Sunday school with and become friends with people who don't vote like us. And that is living out our faith. When we are challenged to accept the messy people in our community and to have to love them and offer them mercy and offer them forgiveness anyway, that is making a beautiful day in our neighborhood. When we take the things that we can do together and we open ourselves with practice and discipline over and over and over again, then we can change the world. At the end of this series, this day, I want you to remember that we cannot bear crosses on our own, but that God can do amazing things in us and through us when we have the discipline in our lives to ground ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and with us. And all that takes is practice and practice and more practice. Amen.